Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed. And thank you, Donna. It's a good reminder that even in trial and tragedy, God is there to carry us. And appreciate that this morning. I want to congratulate the Slaters and the Bergsmas on a new baby this week. Uh, Lena, Joe, and mom and baby are doing fine, and we praise the Lord for the safe arrival a little bit early, and we praise the Lord for that too, because uh, Jessica was saying she did not want to go much longer, and so we praise the Lord for that. So that was, uh, what day was that? Was that Friday? Thursday night, midnight, a Thursday night, I think. Friday, I had to go around all the kids, and uh, all the siblings were here, and they all each had to tell me. They were so excited about that, and uh, Little Allie came down the hallway, and she saw Rob and I talking in a room, and she'd already told me, so she had to tell him. And, uh, you know, he can be a little intimidating. He scares me. And, uh, but she stood there real quiet, and I said, Lena, did you come to share your news? She said. And so she was on her way to the bathroom, but she had to tell Mr. Judge that she had a new baby sister. So pretty exciting times for those little ones. And uh, so praise the Lord, and you continue to pray uh, for Jessica and Lena Joe as they're recovering, and I expect probably home today or something. So let's remember them in prayer. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I, I'll be honest with you, this was not what I was planning when I woke up this morning. Uh, but here's the problem when you read your Bible. The Lord begins to mess in your heart. And uh, let, let me say this. If you have a, a computer program, a lot of you probably have a computer program where you have a Bible or you have it on your phone or something like that, and then you can do a quick search. Look up the word read, the word read, in, in, to, to read your Bible. And um, you will find that it doesn't appear that many times in the Bible, actually. There's uh, probably about 35 or 40 instances of the word read. And almost, almost exclusively, it talks about reading the scriptures. But here's the thing. There's never a command. We are never told to read our Bibles. Most of the time, it's when the prophet will get up or the priest will get up in the tabernacle and he will read the scriptures to the people. Um, they'll talk about give reading to the word, and we do see that with the Apostle Paul, to give reading to the word, give attendance to doctrine. But he's talking about in church services, to get up and read the word of God in church services until the Lord comes again. And so we, we don't see that. Here's what we are commanded to do in the Bible. We are commanded to study his word. We are commanded to meditate on his word. And so sometimes I think we just open up and say, well, I'm going to read. And don't get me wrong. You have to read in order to study and you have to read in order to meditate. And it's good to read the Bible. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying uh, I think the Lord is encouraging us. The Word of God is encouraging us to go a step further. And so when I, try to, when I read my Bible, I always have a pen and paper with me. And I always want to write things down and I want to understand it. And I'm very analytical in my thinking. And so if I can see it laid out in a, almost a chart form, then I can understand it better and understand what's going on in the context. And, and so I would encourage you to study your Bible. Don't just read it, study it, meditate upon it. And uh, I talk about those verses I trip over. Uh, it's good to trip over a verse. You say, well, I, sometimes I find I spend a whole week on one verse. That's okay. If the Lord is ministering to you and you're growing and you're learning from it, listen, it's better to get something out of one verse or one chapter or one book than it is to read the whole Bible through and get nothing. Sometimes we just race through to keep a schedule. So study to show thyself approved unto God. Meditate on his word day and night and it will be a help and a blessing to you. Last Sunday morning, the Lord did something similar in my heart about the king. There's a God in the kingdom of men, and I talked about how the king can turn things around, and the king is on his throne. 
And that's been just kind of a prevailing thought in my heart this week. And I've been looking through the Bible about the name or the title of King of Kings or the King, our God is King. And I noticed that if you do that same search that I just told you to do with the word read, you will find if you do the search for the phrase King of Kings, it only appears six times in the entire Bible. Three times about earthly kings and three times about God. The three times is the earthly king. One is Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is writing to the prophet Ezekiel. And when he writes to him, he says, I am Artaxerxes, king of kings. He's not the king of kings. He's just being arrogant about it. And so he gave himself that title. The other two times is actually King Nebuchadnezzar. And it is Daniel that calls him king of kings. But listen, he calls him a king of kings, not the king of kings. In other words, God had given Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom and there were kings that were subservient to him. And so he was a king over other kings. And that's what it means in that context. He was a king of kings or he was a leader of leaders, a ruler of rulers. And so he was, he was a leader among other kings. And so he received the title king of kings. But when we get to 1 Timothy, we read that Paul says to Timothy that we have a great God and he is the king, capital K, of kings. In Revelation, we read twice about this king of kings, and he is the Lord that sits upon his throne. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says it'll say upon his vesture, and I like how the Bible puts it in the King James Bible in the Revelation, all in capital letters, king of kings. He is God. He is king. I begin to read this morning one of the greatest passages of scripture, I believe, and one of my favorite passages anyway. Maybe that's why I think it's the greatest, because it's one of my favorites. But one of the greatest passages is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees God on his throne. God on his throne. I want to look at that this morning. God began to stir my heart as I was reading early this morning, and I jotted some things down, four words that I jotted down here quickly, and I I want to share those words with you and, 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 and let's see something that I had never, ever seen in this passage before. I'd never seen it, I'll be honest. I believe the Lord showed it to me this morning, and I want to share it with you. And I I believe and I help and pray that it'll help us. Isaiah chapter 6, let's read together in verse 1. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. By the way, it doesn't say sitting upon his throne, does it? It says sitting upon a throne. I, I, I like the way it's worded, and here's why. Because the Lord could walk in and inhabit anybody's throne. Doesn't have to be his throne. He could walk into a kingdom and the queen of England would have to take off her crown and set it aside and vacate her throne and allow the king of kings to take his rightful place. But here we are in this kingdom day, back in the days of kings and kingdoms. And the Bible says that Isaiah, they've just had a king die by the name of Uzziah. And I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now we see where this throne is, verse 4. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. We are hearing the moving of the Lord today as the wind blows and the steeple creaks above us. 
That was nothing compared to the construction of the temple. A temple that God had built out of stone. And, and the Bible says the posts of that place began to shake with the voice of these angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need your help today. Lord, I, the Holy Spirit, I believe, this morning showed me something I'd never seen before. And I pray that you'd help us. <coughs> To be sure that we are keeping things clear and in context so that we don't misconstrue or twist the scripture in any way. But Lord, you teach us the lesson you'd have for us. Lord, I'm not here to correct any other preacher or any other message I preach to say that, that we made the application wrong. I, I don't believe that's true. I believe the scripture has lots of ways we can apply the truths of God's word as long as that the truth is never changed. But I pray, Lord, that as we look at this truth this morning that the application would become clear. Father, I need your help. I pray that you might fill me with thy Holy Spirit as I surrender to thee. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back in verse 1 with me, and you'll notice uh, something that I, I always try to emphasize is very important. It's one of these four words I wrote down is the word context. The word context. We read the passage of Scripture and we say, okay, well, it happened in the year that King Uzziah died. And that is often a way that the prophets would write scripture. They would give us a time frame based on the kings of the land at that day. I want to share with you a little bit about this King Uzziah. And I, I believe it has a greater importance than what we understand just by a cursory reading of this passage. Notice the Bible says that Isaiah writes that in the year King Uzziah died. Back in 2 Kings chapter 15, we read about King Azariah. King Azariah is also called Uzziah. Now, that, that's not unusual in the scriptures because they were writing to different cultures and different tongues and different peoples. And as a result, they would sometimes adapt the name to their native tongue. And so Azariah that we read about in 2 Kings 15 is the very same king Uzziah that we read in Isaiah chapter 1. You say, how do you know? Because of the chronology of the kings that is laid out in 2 Kings, also because of his birth parents and other things that are listed there, we can be assured that this is the same king. And the Bible says that King Uzziah died. What about this King Uzziah? Is that simply a marker that tells us the time frame that Isaiah is writing or is there something more to it? I want you to notice what I believe to be the context of this passage. In 2 Kings chapter 15, you will notice in verse 3, can I, can I encourage you to do something? Just write that down. 2 Kings chapter 15, because I think it's important that you look at this, and, and, and for sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. But in verse 3, the Bible says, he did that which was right, and it doesn't stop there, in the sight of the Lord. There's a lot of people that are doing right in their own eyes. There's a lot of people doing right in the sight of men. But what is right in the sight of the Lord? And that is a great compliment that is uh, given to King Uzziah. The name Uzziah uh, it literally means, my strength is Jehovah. It was a title or name that was given to him because of his reliance upon the Lord. And the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And God put him as the king of Judah and he would reign for 52 years. That's a long time. 52 years he would be a good and godly king. But here's the thing. 
11 years before he would die. He was 68 years old when he died. He became king at 16. 11 years before he would die, so when he was 57 years old, he came down with leprosy. He said, how does that happen to such a good and godly man? Well, by the way, we're all flesh. We are all subject to the fall of Adam and the sin and the curse upon man. And we cannot curse God when we're sick. That is the curse of the fall. Our bodies are made to be frail and weak and we will one day die as a result of sin. And and so sickness is part of that curse. But King Uzziah was stricken with leprosy for a very specific reason. The Bible tells us that he went to the temple and desired to offer incense upon the altar. So think about this. God is judging him because he had a desire to worship. He said, what what is wrong here? Well, there's something missing. Here's what is missing. Eighty priests came to him and said, that is not for you to do. That is not your place. God has ordained that the priests would take the incense and burn it upon the altar on your behalf, signifying prayers going to God and our relationship with him. And you have stepped out of line. And God immediately smote him with leprosy. And I think it's a great lesson to us that as well-meaning and as good-intentioned as we are, and we say, I just want to worship God. Listen, you cannot come to God without the high priest, Jesus Christ. You must be washed in his blood. You must be clothed in his righteousness. You cannot stand before the God uh, without having Jesus Christ put upon you. Listen, the Bible says we can go boldly to the throne of grace. That's because Christ granted access when the veil was torn from top to bottom when he died upon the cross of Calvary. We've been granted that access because there is a great high priest who has passed into the heavens and there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We must go through him, and Uzziah paid a high price being reminded of that. So Uzziah lived a life. Think about this. The Bible says that he obeyed the Lord, and he brought glory to the Lord, and he honored the Lord in all that he did. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and for 52 years, he was a good and godly king, and the only blight we can find on his record is that in his heart one day, he said, I want to go worship God. He didn't do it right. He didn't go through the priest. And we must go through Christ. But can we fault his heart? He was disobedient. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, There was no doubt in my mind that he stepped out of God's due order. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. But if we're looking at the man... It's very hard for me to say over a 52-year period, his greatest sin was he worshipped wrong, made this mistake. And by the way, I don't believe he probably ever did it again. The man had a heart for God. Now here's the context. In the year that King Uzziah died, think about this. Israel had been treated for 52 years to a good and godly king. Well, how many of us would rejoice for that? You know, I I guess 70 years here shortly for Queen Elizabeth. I don't know if we would describe her as godly. I don't know her spiritual condition. I know she's head of the Church of England, and and, uh, I know she says some things in her Christmas addresses and Easter and things like that 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 sound Christ-like and stuff, but I have no, no clue. But I'll say this, for 70 years... 
she's been a lot better leader than a lot of the kings of history. How many of you have heard of King Henry VIII? Didn't like his wife, so he just cut her head off. You know, we, we read about those historical things. I remind my wife, say, hey, say, I'm not that bad. Look what this guy does to his wife. And we've been treated, I guess, to a little bit of a dick. Now her kids are a mess. Grandkids are kind of crazy. But she's held the line. She carries herself with some dignity. For 52 years, the people of Israel were treated to a good and godly king. Now listen, that's the context. And now the people are going, what are we going to do next? The king has died. Our country is in disarray. Our people are in shambles. I'm going to prove that to you from the scripture this morning. And notice what happens next. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, I'm going to come back to those three verses in just a moment. It'll make up our second point. Our second point is captivate. Captivate. But I'm going to jump to the third point and put a thought in your head so that you can understand what's going on with this second point. Notice the next verse, verse 5. Then said I, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Now listen to this. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is admitting that the condition of the people of Israel, is they're just not in a good place. They're struggling to get by. And he said, well, is that, is that what you're drawing from this man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips thing? And I want to show it to you in a moment, but I just want to plant a seed in your mind as we look back at this second thing. But think about this. The, the people were just kind of in disarray and they're running around to and fro. They had lost their leader, this good and godly king for 52 years, and they did not know what to do with themselves. And so here's what God did. He began to capture their hearts. He said, I need to captivate this people. And here's the problem. For 52 years, this good and godly king, Uzziah, had led the people, and he led them righteously, and he led them that in everything that was right in the eyes of the Lord, and the people began to rely upon him instead of him. And now they were lost. And God had to show himself to the prophet. What he was supposed to be doing by faith Isaiah needed a reminder to his sight to be able to continue prophesying to the people. Notice what the Bible says. So I, we've talked about the context, but I want to say the next word I wrote down was the word captivate, meaning that God is going to capture their heart. In verse 1, we see a holy revelation. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now notice what he says in verse 5. Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and these people, they're of unclean lips, and we are just having a hard time with all of this. And God says, Hey, 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 look up here. I'm on a throne. 
Yeah, I know this great king died, but you're forgetting who is the king of kings. You're forgetting who's still in control. And Isaiah looks up and he sees the king upon his throne. Notice the glory of this king as it unfolds before our eyes. He says, I see him sitting upon a throne. And by the way, he's still sitting upon his throne. At the end of days in Revelation, we will see a great throne. And the Bible says that the Ancient of Days will be still sitting upon that throne. There he is, high and lifted up. And the Bible says, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a holy revelation we see of God upon his throne. But notice, secondly, we see a holy reminder in verse 3. And God has to remind Isaiah of something here. He says, Isaiah, you're looking up here and you're getting to see this wonderful revelation, this picture, this scene with me sitting upon my throne and my train is filling the temple and the seraphims are singing, holy, holy, holy. But I want to remind you of something. My glory also fills the earth. You don't need to live by sight. You can live by faith. Romans puts it this way, doesn't even creation itself testify the glory of God? Isaiah had somehow lost sight. I've always preached this message that Isaiah was stepping to the front of leadership and he was taking control of this country that was of an unclean lips and and he was trying to help the people rebuild after losing this good and godly king. But I believe that the context is saying that the entire people were in disarray and it was God that had to come to Isaiah to try to set his mind back on the Lord and remind him, hey, I am still on the throne and all of creation testifies of my glory and that's the earth I have placed you in and those are the people I want you to minister to and don't you ever forget that I'm the king of kings and don't you ever forget that my glory fills the earth that I am God and I am king we see a holy revelation a holy reminder but then we see a holy resonance I love this verse 4 I just, I just threw that in it doesn't help us a whole lot but I just threw it in because I like it look at verse 4 and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke Can you imagine if it was God that was speaking? It's just angels, seraphims, and those concrete temple posts were moving, shaking. God is like the voice of many waters. When he thunders down from the sky, the people of Israel, they have to back up for fear that the mountain will fall upon them. This is holy God. So we see a holy revelation, a holy reminder, and a holy resonance God sets out to captivate their hearts. But I see a third word here in verse 5, and, and, and I want you to settle in here for a second. I see the word contrition. Contrition. Look at verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, 
and thy sin purged. In verse 5, we see a heart of contrition. Isaiah is confronted with the Lord and he's reminded that God is still on his throne. He's reminded that his glory fills the earth and his heart breaks. He says, woe is unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips. But I want to ask you a question today. Is this the reaction of a godly man exposed to the presence of God? What do you mean by that? Sometimes you can get up and you can preach a message on sin and the ones who uh, you know are walking as close to the Lord as they possibly can, they're the ones that react. They're the ones down at the altar and they're saying, oh God, forgive me. They're, they're like the publican who's beating his chest. Forgive me. But I don't believe that's the case. Because of the context of what's going on in this passage, here's what I believe is happening. When he says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I believe it is a confession of a man who fell into the same fear and dismay of all those around him. So how do you know that? Because the Bible says in verse 5, look what it says, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He might have said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm living among wicked people. But he didn't say that. He compared his sin to the sin of the people and it was word for word the same. We both have unclean lips. Now let me ask you this. When Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, do you think he was walking around cussing? That doesn't seem his character, does it? He's a prophet of God. Do you think he was using the Lord's name in vain? Do you think when he went down to the local well to get some water that he'd get talking with some of the other people there and tell a dirty joke? I don't believe that for one minute is what the scripture is referring to. I believe when the Bible says that Isaiah confesses he's a man of unclean lips, what he is saying is this. I'm no different than anybody else in this country. We've lost our king and they are plunged into a state of worry and fear. And I'm going right along with it. When I go down to the watering hole, I say to the others, well, what do you think about this new guy they're going to put up as king? Uh, his his agenda is not the same as Mars. Uh, we're, we're social conservatives and he's a liberal or he's this or he's that or he's going to try to push this agenda or push that agenda. And, and instead of him taking his God-given calling of exhorting the people and preaching the word of God and reminding them that there's still a God on the throne and pointing them back to Jesus and his glory upon the face of this earth. Instead, he had unclean lips just like everybody else and he fell into the gossip and the fray and the worry and the fear. That's what's going on with Isaiah. Because he says, I'm a man of unclean lips just like everybody else. We've lost our king. And I got to admit, I'm wondering what's next. Why wouldn't he? We see in the book of Daniel that Daniel had to go through four different kings. One threw him in a den of lions. Others took his three buddies and threw him into the fiery furnace. 
And perhaps Isaiah, like the rest, is wringing his hands and wondering, well, I've had 52 years, I've been able to preach freely, and I've been able to have my rights and my freedoms, and we can meet as, a, uh, as God's people, and I can share the word of God with them, and I can encourage and exhort them, but now the good and godly king is gone. What do I do next? And God says, hey, I'm still on the throne. I'm still right here. So what was his sin? God came and took a coal, put it upon his lips. An angel flew, put a live coal upon his lips, and he says, your sin and your iniquity are purged. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. His sin was this. It was the sin of unclean lips. Instead of praying, he complained. Instead of exhorting, he gossiped. Instead of reminding people that God is on the throne, he worried. And he admits as much when he says, I've fallen into the trap. I'm just like everybody else. I'm a man of unclean lips, just like they are. I've fallen into the trap. Oh, it's so easy, isn't it? <laughs> it's so easy. I, I've, I've literally heard people who will be on one side of a hallway and they'll be talking to somebody and they'll be praising something and then they'll get on the other side of the hallway talking to somebody else and, oh yeah, I know, I don't like that guy either. It's so easy to fall in because we want to fit in. Do you know why Uzziah was a good and godly king? He made a mistake. There's no doubt in my mind, hey, we're all sinners, right? Because he didn't try to fit in. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And now that he's gone, the prophet has fallen prey to unclean lips. But not only did he have unclean lips, he had unfocused heart. If, if you were to give me the job description of a prophet of the Old Testament, I, I would say it's probably pretty simple. Listen for the word of God. And give it to the people. It is your job to exhort them with the word. It's your job to preach when judgment's coming. It's your job to point them back to God. It's your job to keep, just keep exhorting and pressing and, and, and helping people. That's your job. Go about preaching the word as God gives it to you. Pretty simple job description. But his heart had become unfocused. What he had always believed by faith, now that the king had died and the prospects did not look good, he had to be shown by sight. He says, I have seen, he said it himself, I have seen the king, verse 5. He had to see him by his eyes to be able to turn his heart back to God. That's the context. That's God trying to captivate their hearts. That's his contrition. But look at the last thing here this morning. We see the word commission. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I have never been confused by that verse before until today. How many of you heard that preached at missions conferences? Man, if we just get a vision of God, it'll turn our hearts around and we'll want to go. I think that's a good application. 
Because that's what happens. He gets a vision of God and it ignites his heart and he surrenders to the Lord and he wants to go and he's willing to, to be available for the Lord. I think that's a good application. Well, when I think about who Isaiah is, wasn't he already sent? He's a prophet, right? Wasn't he already set apart by God to preach his word and to go village to village and encourage the people and bring the word of God to the people? And he was God's mouthpiece on earth. Wasn't he already sent? But he had an unfocused heart. And he lost sight. And God had to open up the heavens and say, hey, son, look up here. You've got unclean lips. You're running around in a panic and a worry and a fear with everybody else with unclean lips. And I need you to focus back on me. Because I'm about to do a thing and I need you to be my mouthpiece. And he says, here am I, Lord. Send me. It didn't come until after he was forgiven. It didn't come until after his iniquity is cleansed and his sins were purged. But once he surrendered to God, God was able to use him and see what happens Verse next in verse 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly. He says, listen, I'm going to judge the people. For 52 years, they've had peace, and they've had a godly king who's led them, but now they're all scared and worried, and I have to judge them. What is the point of judgment? To turn their eyes back to God. Through this judgment, they would have to see who God was. The Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree. What is, he, what is he saying here? He's saying, I believe that 10% of the people will turn their hearts back to me through judgment. Isaiah had to get his heart right first. Listen, can I remind you today that there's a king on his throne? That we don't need to worry and fear there's people that will worry and fear and they'll talk and they'll gossip and they'll complain. And I'm, let me encourage you, be the voice of reason. I'm not saying what they're saying is even wrong. I'm not saying you necessarily would disagree with what is coming. But could you be the one that says, aren't you glad God's in control? Aren't you glad that over in the temple, high and lifted up, there's a king that sits upon a throne. The Bible says we're not to worry what men can do unto us. But rather, fear those that can destroy the body and soul in hell. We don't need to worry. God is in control. I'm going to be honest. This spoke to my heart this morning because I've been Isaiah. Not, not the bold prophet of the Old Testament. I've been the Isaiah that's had the unclean lips with the unclean lips of the people. I would to God that we just keep preaching his truth. Keep lifting up Christ. 
Keep pointing people back to Jesus. It's funny how we'll say, well, you know, the only hope we have is the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we worry about everything else. No, no, our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. That's what this lost and dying world needs. They say, what would fix Putin? Jesus. A good dose of Jesus. A regenerate heart. What what would fix the dictators of this world? What would say... Jesus. Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and stand to our feet this morning. God has spoke. You're more than welcome to use this altar today. Maybe there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. I'm I'm here to tell you there's still a king in heaven. He loves you very much and he sent his son to die upon a cross to save your soul. We'd like to help you today. If your life is full of worry and fear, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. God had to remind Isaiah that he's still king. He's still in control and the glory declares his, the earth declares his glory. And he can be seen as his glory fills the earth. But have we lost our focus? Have we lost sight? of his all-powerful, almighty hand. Oh, I, I know there's real things going on in our world today. I don't deny that. I'm just saying God is in control of them all. And God will have the victory.